Parisian recall when on the world the mist began to fall out of the dreams that rose in a happy throng Hello to our hearts love sang an old sweet song and in the dark where fell the firelight gleam Welcome to episode 97 of the Blooms and Barnacles podcast, where we talk about all things relating to James Joyce's Ulysses. I'm Dermot. And I'm Kelly. How are you doing today, Dermot? Very good. Great. Well, I'm very excited about our episode today. This has been requested more than once as a topic by our listeners. And the topic is... Henry Gibson? That's right, Henry Gibson. Or Henry Gibson. Definitely not Henry Gibson. Um, so the the story behind the story, I guess, is uh, Joyce was a, an enormous fan of Henrik Ibsen from his teenage years on. And so people have requested, why don't you do an episode talking about Joyce's interest in that? Hmm. And I thought, I don't know anything about that. And we had one of our lovely listeners, Mr. Paul Ringo, knows a bit about Ibsen. So he offered to talk to me. And let me tell you, this episode was a long time in the making. If you are a regular listener, you know, Dermot and I moved internationally this year. Paul and I were supposed to talk in February or March, I think. And we talked uh, last week. So hmm. I, I'm really happy to have talked to him. Paul has been a, a great supporter of our show. If you if you like listening to him talk in this, he was in, I want to say, our 2020 Bloomsday episode reading the fireworks section from Nausicaa and he does an excellent job of that so go check that out and if you enjoy Paul's contributions to this episode you might also check out his blog at paulringo.blogspot.com and he had a couple of things he wanted me to mention uh first of all we talk about which Ibsen plays influenced Joyce the most and he did that thing, I think it's called in French, esprit d'escalier, the, the spirit of the staircase, where you think of the perfect thing to say just after you leave. And uh, he said that he forgot to mention the play Ghosts um, because of how important ghosts are throughout Ulysses. Uh, so check that one out too, in addition to the ones that we mentioned. And Dermot has done some artwork for this episode. Yeah, caricature of Ibsen. Mm-hmm. Nothing fancy, just Ibsen. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And I put it up on our social media. I, I thought, I wonder if people recognize this. And Ibsen has a very, let's say, signature look. Mm-hmm. People picked it up right away. So I think you did a very good. A bit like Dr. Zayas. I was going to ask you to to tell them about the more gonzo approach mm. to this that you suggested. And I, uh, I said wanted, no to. I wanted to do a crossover <laughs> with the Simpsons episode where they have Planet of the Apes, the musical. And Joyce was... Uh, uh, Troy McClure uh, saying, I love you, Dr. Zayas, and Ibsen is Dr. Zayas. But um, Kelly said, nope. Yeah, I, I wanted something a little more straight <laughs> since we had a you know guest on the episode. But if you'd like to see that, um, please uh, talk to us either on Facebook or Twitter or at our email, bloomsandbarnacles.com, uh, <laughs> bloomsandbarnacles at gmail.com, and uh, tell us... If you'd like to see Dermot's uh, Dr. Zayas version of Henrik Ibsen. If there's silence, then I will know that I was right. Mm. If we get a barrage of emails and tweets and Facebooks, uh, I will know that Dermot's right. So mm. let us know who's right. Oh my God, oh my God, I was wrong all along. You finally made it, a No, monkey. it's, oh my God, I was wrong. It was Earth all along. So I know all the words of the Planet of the she Apes does. musical. She'll, she'll do the it's, whole thing verbatim. Yeah, but I don't want to sing on the podcast because then I have to edit myself singing and that is uh, probably an actual nightmare that I've mm-hmm. had. Well, anyway, speaking of the Planet of the Apes, I just needed a transition that says it has nothing to do with the Planet of the Apes, but it does kind of have something to do with Charlton Heston, who was also in a movie called The Ten Commandments, mm-hmm. where he played Moses. And we did a blog post recently, since we are a blog as well as a podcast, uh, about a certain mosaic-themed, Moses-themed speech from the Aeolus episode, Mm -hmm. the seventh episode of Ulysses. The blog is entitled The Language of the Outlaw, 
colon, John F. Taylor's speech in Eolus. And do you remember, what is that blog post about, Dermot? Uh, the Home Rule Movement. Um, the desire for Ireland to have a devolved government mm-hmm. that would take care of schools and roads and trains. And mm-hmm. Too much for the British. They thought it was going to be um, anarchism. Mm-hmm. Just like Scotland today, basically. They've gone mm-hmm. mad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, Dermot, our resident artist, has done a sort of Moses-themed bit of artwork for that. Could you tell us a little bit about your yeah, political sp- cartoon here? The kind of thing you see in Punch and the usual rags and the British Empire, late 19th century, where we have the evil Irish home ruler terrorizing poor Queen Victoria. Mm-hmm. With very is modest. that meant to be Parnell or just a... It could be Parnell or it could be What's-His-Face. It's interchangeable. They all, they'd all look the same anyway to your usual, like, Londoner, I would think. Yeah. I think I, I asked you to do Parnell parting the Red Sea, mm-hmm. or the Irish Sea, as it were. Yeah. Um, but instead you did him conjuring up a wave and swallowing Queen Victoria. Poor Queen Victoria. Little tiny weak <laughs> so. queen. All right. Well, if you want to see that or you'd like to see the Henrik Ibsen artwork or um, I know in the episode also Paul asked me if Ibsen has ever been on The Simpsons Mm. and there is a reference to A Doll's Tale in the season premiere of season 22 which I never watched Mm. and uh, if you'd like to see an image of that you can go to the show notes for this at blimsatbarnacles.com that's right check out our show notes check out the blog about John F. Taylor's speech there's a, a secret cameo in it from a very famous Irish revolutionary that might surprise you. Certainly did me. Right, a little bit of business. And then we will let you listen to my conversation with Paul Ringo. Uh, first of all, we'd love to thank everyone who supports our show. This week, we'd like to thank contributors Katrina Schaefer, David Shaw, Carlos Rodriguez, and all of our recurring donors. You guys really help keep the lights on here, and we really, really appreciate it. Dermot, if someone would like to contribute money to our show, how could they do that? Uh, you can go to bloomsofbarnacles.com. On the top right of the page, there's a tip jar, and you can use a credit card or PayPal. Mm-hmm. Uh, just PayPal. Just PayPal? It's okay. just PayPal, mm. yeah. If you'd like to support us in a non-monetary fashion, uh, you can do so by leaving a review at Apple Podcasts. Just drop us five stars. And if you leave us a comment, we'll read it on the show. And finally, the best way to keep up with us, we have Twitter and Facebook, but you know, I'd say if we've learned anything recently, it's that social media is very flaky. So mm. our newsletter will always be free and available, and it will never mine your data. Uh, we'll never ask you $8 for it. And it's so hip and cool that even the Silicon Valley billionaires don't know about it yet. We don't tell billionaires we about our people. Them. Unless they'd like to give us a lot of money. <laughs> and finally, this is episode 97. We are coming up on our 100th episode. We're about to pass a milestone that not everyone makes it to. And I'm just going to tease a little bit. We're going to have a, I, I think, an interview we recorded maybe a month ago that I'm really excited about. We're going to drop as our 100th episode. And then there's also going to be a very big announcement. And I'm just going to tease that. It's an announcement. Good one. It's a good one. And I think 2023 will be a, an interesting year for Blooms and Barnacles. Mm, hope so. All right. Well, without further ado, here's me and Paul Ringo's conversation about Henrik Ibsen and James Joyce. Enjoy. I'm here today with longtime Blooms and Barnacles listener, and if you don't mind me saying, supporter, Paul Ringo. You're a very active member, I think, of the online Ulysses community both on Facebook and I know I've seen you pop up in the Sweeney's reading group and contributed to our Bloomsday episodes which is always much appreciated. Welcome to the show Paul Ringo and Paul is with us today as a Joycean but also as an Ibsenian is that a word? Yeah sure. As a, a, a fan not only of Joyce but of Joyce's most favorite person uh, maybe Henrik Ibsen. I was hoping we could start out today Paul by you introducing yourself can you tell us a little bit about who you are uh thank you kelly yeah i appreciate um i am uh well native of the northwest of the u.s and um uh well um, and i come at the ibsen part through my being three quarters norwegian my mother was born there and uh, came to this country to go to college and ended up staying 
And uh, she's an artist, too. She was a teacher uh, until she retired, but uh, uh, also very interested in the arts and literature always. And, uh, you know, that is part of my uh, proud uh, cultural heritage, that Norwegian bit. And, um, and then the Joyce part is also something that uh, I, I think the first copy I had, in fact, of uh, Ulysses was my mother's from when she was in college uh, and one of the old uh, blue hardcover Ulysses. That's the one I started reading. But I didn't start doing that really until uh, I'd been uh, uh, involved with Finnegan's Wake. So, that, so I came through to Ulysses through Finnegan's Wake, which is not the usual way. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. So it's, uh, you know, that, that story is um, just uh, by chance uh, when I was in college in Bellingham and got uh, a chance to see a film they were showing on campus. It was the film of Finnegan's Wake. And uh, oh. it just really blew me away. You know, I just. I didn't know there was a film of Finnegan's Wake. Yeah, you can see it online. Uh, it's available quite easily. If you look for a uh, film, Finnegan's Wake, there's just, it's free to watch it. Uh, very incredible. And that film was basically a take on the play that was adapted uh, for the stage. And uh, so, so the next day they had some auditions for the play they were going to produce. And I think that's why they showed the film. And so I, I auditioned um, and uh, because I was so excited after seeing the movie. And I got a part in the in the play, and this is all by way of, in a way of telling you about myself, and uh, also getting a little bit into the Ibsen starting uh, the Ibsen connection there, because uh, as I got the part of Shem, which is you're probably aware, most listeners maybe, uh, Shem is based on sort of Joyce. And Sean in Finnegan's Wake would be his brother, you know, Stanislaus, and they mirror a lot of other like archetypes and people everywhere, the brothers, basically. Um, so I playing Shem, I thought, well, is that's James Joyce. I'm, I'm going to study for the character. I'm going to learn as much as I can about James Joyce and uh, learned that he had, you know, admired Ibsen. And when he, uh, he decided to learn Norwegian so he could read the plays in the original language, which is just kind of amazing, right? <laughs> so... Uh, I went, uh, proceeded not to learn Norwegian, although I knew a little bit from my family. Um, but I did read uh, that series of plays uh, through the 12 plays that he wrote after. He sort of changed and be became this kind of dramatist that changed kind of drama forever. Um, you know, why some people put Gibson up there with Shakespeare and uh, Cervantes. So. That's kind of, you know, the, the way uh, I first got involved uh, with, uh, in Joyce, really, in a way. Um, and, and also, at the same time, really got an appreciation for Ibsen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. that's So you came, you came to Ibsen through Joyce, you'd say? You could say that. I mean, I, I think uh, I probably had... Uh, I probably had read one, one or two plays. I can't remember that far back now. We're talking 40 years, right? But uh, yeah, um, I think that was definitely how I got a, a real appreciation because you, you read those 12 plays, um, you know, maybe in a few weeks' time. It kind of gets you a good picture of what he, he's doing as a dramatist, right. yeah. So I have a question for you then because one reason I want to talk to you is I've had people request me to do an episode about Henrik Ibsen, which uh, James Joyce was a, a massive fan of, of Ibsen for anyone who's not familiar with that connection. We can get into that. But um, so I have not read much Ibsen. I think I might have read um, A Doll's House in college, right. but that'd be 20 years ago now. Sure. And so I, I am a self-proclaimed know-nothing about Ibsen. So I, I need... Um, an expert like Paul here to, mm. to help me out. So what is, here's a very yeah. large question. What is, what is Ibsen's thing? What is Ibsen's mm -hmm. deal? Um, after reading all those plays, what qualities of his work stood out to you? Yeah, that's, that's a really good question because, you know, um, I think, uh, you could refer to it as a kind of realism. Um, and it's, uh, you know, it's sort of, uh, a reaction from a lot of the the sort of pretentiousness maybe of, of the drama that preceded 
and um, you know because you and you find uh, well in a, um, a doll's house you find uh, you know uh, this woman at the end leaving her husband and uh, this is you know shocking the audiences just didn't know what to think I mean this is what you would go to the theater for <laughs> and so and there was um, it's something about it I think you could say that's um, it's a little ambiguous, and, and that's also, I think, is a good way to look at something that Joyce might have appreciated, where everything is not clearly spelled out, right? There, there's a lot that you can read into it. And, of course, um, people will uh, sometimes, uh, you know, make these uh, characters uh, from Ibsen, like Nora in A Doll's House, into certain kinds, you know, figures. But... It's probably limiting. It's it's she's not meant to be this one thing, you know, because uh, his drama is is showing that this whole way that life is not clear cut. You know, things <laughs> things are happening, but nobody necessarily understands exactly what's going on, right? That's that's realism in a way, right? Because uh, it's a play isn't going to show and explain everything for you, mm -hmm. unless it's a comedy. right. And and realism was so important to to Joyce. Like he really saw an artist's role in society as, you know, reflecting the realness of that society, not an idealized version or a mythical mythicalized a mythical version. Yeah. Um, but he wanted to show all the the grit and grime and the messiness of human relationships and right. people don't quite fit in. And you know, as his version of reality, I, I think. Well, the way Joyce put it is that the 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 artist is meant to act as the conduit of all the, the filth of society. So I don't know if, if Ibsen's work feels that way, but um, mm -hmm. I, I know that realism was something that really uh, struck Joyce when he was a very, very young man, like 17, right. 18 years old. I think so, yeah. I think that's, uh, that's a good way of looking at it. Um, one of the phrases that uh, stuck with me this from... Uh, it's, it's kind of quoted at the beginning of a lot of the Ibsen anthologies. And they usually include three or four plays in these, you know, collections. Uh, Penguin Classics and whatnot is um, a, a little epigram at the beginning of the book uh, from Ibsen's. To be a poet, most of all, to see. So, uh, I mean, I think, you know, he's seeing, Ibsen's is saying that you see, you basically, you see, you want to see what's there, right? I mean, that's... Uh, and again, maybe a role of an artist um, to to show us, you know, what, reality in a sense. Not necessarily. That doesn't mean it's like a, just a a photograph, but mm -hmm. it's it's going to bring us back to it, back back to reality. <laughs> I know too. One of Joyce's big how do I want to say it? Uh, something that really motivated him um, as a young man, and this is reflected in Ulysses. I don't I. Like the works of Ibsen, I've never read Finnegan's Wake, so any 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 Wake stuff you're gonna have to take over, Paul. <laughs> but uh, one thing that really animated Joyce was uh, idea, um, kind of uh, in contrast to Gogarty, aka Buck Mulligan, was Gogarty really wanted to Hellenize Irish culture to bring sort of elements of of classical Greek and and Roman culture into Ireland, where as Joyce instead wanted to Europeanize. Mm -hmm. Irish culture right. and one way he sought to do that was through the the plays of Ibsen yeah. which I was reading about this earlier it's, it seems like he as a, a very young man like a university age man tried to introduce Ibsen to the folks he knew at um, University College right. Dublin and um, he presented an essay about Ibsen and they asked him is there anyone you'd like to be in the audience when you present this and he kind of rolled his eyes and said, well, Henrik Ibsen. And the guy replied, this is according to Joyce's brother Stanislaus, so maybe with a grain of salt, he's replied, huh. oh, Henry Gibson, do you have his address? Because <laughs> he was so unknown yeah. that yeah. they didn't even register a name. I was surprised to learn, too, that I think Ibsen was very ahead of his time with that kind of realism because he was a very old man when... Joyce was a very young man. That's right. So yeah, yeah. I was going to mention that. I'm glad uh, that you you said that because uh, I just got to thinking about it uh, when we were talking about these two men, um, because it it brings to mind to me always uh, the whole idea where Joyce was uh, meeting Yeats, you know, and the famous thing he said, uh, 
you know, I've met you too late to influence you. <laughs> so, you know, but uh, I don't, he never said that to Ibsen. I mean, I, I don't think he, he thought it would be even necessary because it, it all went the other way. You know, Ibsen influenced him. And, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, yeah, but, yeah, Ibsen was very old. I'm just looking over these uh, timelines recently and just, uh, you know, when we did Awaken was the one that Joyce reviewed. Uh, yes. And, uh, you know, it's about, that's the last play, and it's about seven years before Ibsen died. But his last years, he was pretty ill and I think, you know, not really quite with it exactly. So... Uh, uh, what was I going to say now? Now I just lost my track. Yeah. Yes, I know um, that review too, that Ibsen did read it and yes. um, commented. I, I know he described it as benevolent. It was a benevolent interview, but that he did, or sorry, review, but he did read Joyce's review, which struck me as, you know, imagine being 18 years old and starting out as a writer. And not only do you like get a big break to, you know, inter, uh, to review this play of your your idol in a, a well-known publication, but then he reads it and says he liked it. Mm -hmm. Oh, man, that must have gone straight to his head. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and his head wasn't big enough already, but yeah, I mean, and, and it's interesting because it's, it's not uh, necessarily one of people's favorite uh, plays of Ibsen, and I really like it. I mean, I can see... Uh, why uh, Joyce would love it. I mean, it's 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 full of all these big kind of themes, and you know, uh, it's rarely produced. I, I mean, I would love to see it on stage. I, I'd love to act in it, <laughs> um, but I mean, it's just you know, it's it's all these archetypes, almost like Finnegan's Wake in a way, with these grand imagery in the mountains. There's this spa up in the mountains, and and the, you know, it's it's a, like an old couple talking about their relationship. You know, it's like a European film, kind of. Um, but, yeah, uh, those, uh, that uh, is, is, uh, is a marvelous uh, reflection, I think, uh, of the two of them and, and what they might have shared, I think. Just Joyce's appreciation for that play. And, you know, he had uh, written a letter to, to Ibsen, um, also a very long letter. Um, too, too much to go, to go into uh, in too much detail right now, but... Um, I was going to say Joyce's, what well, I saw referred to as a, a fan letter that he wrote, he wrote to Ibsen, which I feel like might be a little bit diminishing because, yes, he was a teenage boy writing to his favorite playwright, but he learned, like, enough Norwegian to write an intelligible letter to Ibsen, which I think, yeah. personally, is very impressive. I could not do that. Right, right. Um, but I was going to ask you, are there any examples of... Joycean works that you can see a very clear um, influence of Ibsen in. I have I have a couple in, in mind, but I want to I want to give you the floor first. Oh, like, where does Ibsen show up in Joyce's work? Well, well, thank you. Yeah, I mean that's in in a way. Um, there's one particular scene that has been to me the uh, the epitome of this, and I'm going to pull it out of my copy of Ulysses here in in uh, Calypso. Uh, you know, uh, there's uh, you have uh, Molly up in the in the bed, and uh, there's uh, I don't I'm not going to give you the line maybe, but uh, yeah, he comes upstairs. Bloom comes upstairs, you know, and she's been just uh, in bed trying to wake up, and um, he observes her and he notices uh, stale smell, uh, incense leaves the next day like foul flower water. And uh, Molly says, would you, oh no, Bloom asks Molly, would you like the window open a little? And, and so that, you know, I, I don't know if it, it just, it, it clicked something uh, with the, the play Hedda Gobbler. And Hedda Gobbler is, is a play about this woman named Hedda. <laughs> and uh, her husband is Tessman, and he, he does the same thing. He, he kind of goes and he, oh, you want the window open? And oh, no, you want the blinds down? It's a little bright. You know, he's, he's totally taking care of this woman, you know, and he's, and it's like, like uh, you know, you've talked about uh, Bloom not being sort of, you know, your, your, your typical male in the household, right? Where he, it's kind of switched roles in a way. Mm -hmm. But uh, this is the same thing in Head of Gobbler. That it just, 
totally. And I thought, well, is this in Joyce's mind? It's one of those things where did Joyce ever think of that or was he subconsciously or is it just me? I mean, so many of those things we see in, uh, in the book sometimes as parallels. It may just be something we see that wasn't there intended, but I don't know. Do you feel that Ibsen, because I think Joyce did play with gender roles quite a bit in his works. Um, maybe not as overtly as more current stuff, but mm-hmm. he definitely, you know, had this um, interest in, I mean, he refers to Bloom directly as the, a new womanly man, which yeah. is, uh, he referred, I think Frank Budgen in his book about the making of Ulysses also says that Joyce referred to himself in a similar way. So I think that he did have an interest in his work of portraying these like slightly shifted gen- gender roles where Bloom takes a more domestic role and a, a masculine, manly man wouldn't, you know, Blazes Boylan isn't making anybody toast just so to make them happy. Uh, right, right. Um, do, you, do you think that uh, Ibsen also wanted to comment on or portray gender roles in a, a similar way? Well, yeah, I mean, because uh, and a lot of these things would have been, uh, you know, changes in society. And also Norway, you know, being a little bit of a backwater, maybe in the way that Ireland is. And then this is something that I wanted to mention earlier that I just now uh, wanted to go back to is, you know, that the European idea, you know, that uh, Ibsen also, you know, went to live in Italy for a long time, you know, had to get away from Norway. I mean, it would have just been claustrophobic for him. And, and you know, a lot like Joyce, you know, just getting away from Ireland. And neither of them, though, really left their home country. I mean, it's still, it's still all a part of the inside of them. And, and they're able to write about it, you know, completely. So, uh, yeah, I think that, but that kind of, and you mentioned the doll's house. I mean, there's, you know, a woman who's going out on her own. I mean, this is like, you know, you know, uh, maybe the first feminist play, I don't know, you know, something silly like that. But, I mean, it's, it's definitely breaking some tradition and, and showing, you know, you know, how different things could be in society for women. You know, so, yeah, it, that's, that's not exactly like uh, Joyce in, uh, in Circe. <laughs> you know, right. Yeah. That, Joyce that thing has is, his own wouldn't take be happening in Ibsen. Yeah. <laughs> I, I did come across one comment that A Doll's House was an inspiration for not Ulysses, but for the dead, because they both kind of center around a man realizing that his female partner has a, an inner life of her own that they know mm-hmm. nothing about. Mm-hmm. And I'm much more familiar with the dead than A Doll's House. But do you, you think yeah. there's any any there there? Yeah, certainly. That, that makes a lot of sense, actually. Um, yeah, I think I saw that. There's a lot. Um, I have not read. I mean, I just pulled up a little bit on uh, what JSTOR, you know, that mm-hmm. academic papers. Right. And there's a lot there I, that, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to look at it, but I haven't read much of those articles. But it is fascinating. Yeah. To think about. Um, but um, the uh, the other thing is um, you could look at Pierre Gint which is sort of a separate thing. It's not part of those realistic plays. Um, and it's, it's really considered a poem. And my grandfather uh, used to go, my mom says that her dad used to go around quoting from Peer Gint, <laughs> quoting lines from it. And that's sort of a fantastical poem about a fantastic character named Peer Gint and his adventures, you know, um, starting in Norway, but going all over the world and meeting strange characters like in a, like a, in a, in a Bergman movie almost, you know, playing chess with, with death, that kind of thing. So, uh, you know, that it just made me think back uh, when I mentioned Circe, because, I mean, you could look at that, I mean, as Ibsen's Circe, you know, what Piergen is just, it's so fantastic and it's so funny. There's, there's a lot of humor in it. Uh, but that's that's really uh, a different period of his writing life, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. Um, do, have you ever read Joyce's comments on Piergint that he he made to to Stanislaus? Oh no, I'd love to hear about that. Um, well, he when he was first conceiving Ulysses, he started it as a short story. It was meant to go in Dubliners, and it 
you know, the, the tale grew with the telling, as they say. But he apparently remarked to Stanislaus that he didn't want to include it in Dubliners because he saw it as maybe a novella. You know, again, the, the tale grew in the telling, but that yeah. he intended to make it an Irish Peer Gint. Really? Yes. Wow. That, he's talking about Ulysses? Yes. Wow. That's amazing. Huh. So that's perhaps not coincidental, because um, I, I, I read some of Wikipedia today. <laughs> Good. So I don't sound too high flutin about Peer Gint, but my understanding is that, yeah, like you said, it's a Norwegian folk story about a guy who has kind of fantastical adventures and which could be like the Odyssey. I mean, right, um, right. He uh, could Odysseus be a... doesn't play chess with death, um, but you know, yeah, but, well, that makes but sense. That, yeah. um, then my understanding is Ibsen kind of took that and put in a more modern overlay on it while right. kind of keeping a lot of the mm -hmm. themes and motifs from the, the older work. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah, totally. That's and so so Fyrgint is, is uh, Ibsen's uh, Ulysses, uh, the Greek myth. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Oh, it's it's so much uh, fun. Uh, and I, I was uh, had the pleasure of seeing a production in Seattle a long time ago. Um, and then, you know, you've got the Greek music, which was written for Fyrgint, which is amazing, too. So, um, yeah, um, uh, that's, uh, you know, I think in those, those kinds of things, um, uh, with Ibsen and Joyce having that, that common, even in the Italy part of their continental kind of, uh, abridgment, mm -hmm. making the trip there and, and transmuting whatever they found in European culture and, and then help having that, you know, translate what they were writing about their own country, um, but uh, in, in, in textual examples, uh, you know, I don't have, uh, you mentioned the dollhouse uh, with the dead. That's really great. Um, I, I know that, um, you know, in Finnegan's Wake, there's, there's references which are, um, you know, uh, often you know, very uh, blown up kind of words, right? Or, or totally... Uh, uh, combined words and who knows maybe it's partly in Norwegian and partly in Hindi uh, but uh, you know he he talks about uh, the big master uh, and uh, in little Norwegian words a lot because of all the languages that are put into Finnegan's Wake and in him knowing Norwegian you can see several places where they're they're inserted in the text um, but uh, yeah I mean in this um, I, I found, uh, I'd like to find more uh, of those references, uh, like you mentioned with Stanislaus, uh, where he's talked about Ibsen later in life. Because, I mean, we hear so much about this one when he was 18, this time when he had this great uh, connection. But uh, I haven't heard a lot of it later on. I, I would recommend reading Stanislaus's book, My Brother's Keeper, which is his biography of his brother. Oh, yeah, I haven't um, read it. You if you ever use the internet archive, you can you can check it out for free there, like the right. library book archive dot org. They uh -huh. don't sponsor me, but uh, yeah. there's no blooms and barnacles without them. So sure. Uh, but no, Stanislaus's um, book, My Brother's Keeper, is very readable. Um, he I think had his brother's wit, and he tells his brother's story very well. Um, but you always have to take it with a little bit of grain of salt, because obviously he's not an unbiased. Um, teller of the story yeah so I, I would recommend checking that out yeah totally for, yeah um because i've read uh, all the the sections in elman's biography of joyce and or about ibsen and most of his stories are taken from stanislaus's books oh right huh i would i would recommend that yeah um, but it's, a, a lot of yeah go ahead no that's fine um uh, i mean I, just thinking about it, though, if there's something that uh, it does influence you so much when you're young, will stay with you through your life. So, I mean, even if we don't see necessarily specific um, places, it's it's overarching. It's you know, and, and like you said, the whole thing with uh, Ulysses being inspired by Pierre in a way, um, that's that's a big deal. Yeah. And I think Ibsen loomed large enough for Joyce that in uh, Stanislaus's words, his interest in Ibsen um, 
was it vitiated his love of Shakespeare, which is a word I had to Google today. Oh, tell me. Basically what means it? that he, the more he liked Ibsen, the less he thought of Shakespeare. He started to think like, wow, this Shakespeare guy's not that good, not compared to Ibsen. Ah, so. right. Interesting, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, <laughs> then yeah. we need a new uh, uh, chapter then uh, in the library for him to do a whole thing about uh, Ibsen you know, mm -hmm. to talk oh, to A.E. Yeah. A, yeah, A, e and those guys. <laughs> yeah. Um, so if someone like, like myself is coming to this and thinking, wow, I really like Joyce and I, he is such a huge influence on, on Joyce and I would love to, you know, get into Ibsen, but 12 plays is a lot and I'm, I'm yeah. a busy modern woman. I can't read 12 plays. Right. <laughs> Where do you start? Getting it. Where do you start? Yeah, like what's a, a good way in, or what's what do you think is a, a must a must reader if you're lucky enough? Uh, what's a must see? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, well, I do think uh, a dollhouse is is a good one, but uh, um, you know, there's also if yeah, I had a gobbler is probably my favorite. I mean. Um, She's she's just a fascinating character, and then there's, you know, the great uh, the great uh, the drama of the piece, which I, I don't want to spoil it, but I, I would say Head of Gobbler would be a, a great one. Um, an Enemy of the People is is good. Uh, I mean, and then you have that. Uh, it was a play that Arthur Miller did, where he translated it and made it into a sort of contemporary American play. Uh, and I think you can see a video of it, I'm pretty sure, somewhere. Um, so, uh, but I, yeah, I think uh, you could do a Doll's House, Head of Gobbler. Um, those would be good places to start, I think. Well, I, I have one, one more anecdote I, I wanted to share with you. you. You might know this one already. Do you know the story of A Brilliant Career? Lots of title, not just the concept of a brilliant career. <laughs> No, tell me. So this was um, the first like major work that Joyce wrote. Um, you cannot find a copy of it because he burned it in 1902. So don't bother looking. It's uh, lost to the sands of time. But he, um, he wrote a play because Joyce felt that it was not the novel that was the, the greatest of all art forms. It, it was uh, drama. Drama was the greatest art form. And one thing that really frustrated him about the Irish literary scene is that there was no Irish history of drama. Um, you know, so he felt that Yeats and Singh and some of these other folks who were trying to bring uh, or like trying to really create a theater scene in Dublin were fools to try to create it from whole cloth because they, they didn't have a foundation on which it could be built oh. and they needed to look to the continentals and that's, yeah he's talking about european he basically he just wanted everyone to read ibsen uh, like yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah i think that was his goal right. he was just like you, you gotta listen to you you gotta you gotta read ibsen you know and um these other guys can't write anything good because they don't know ibsen but um so his early creative work was he really wanted to write plays and he only had one play published which was exiles and it's not very highly regarded but he wrote a play called a brilliant career that was heavily influenced by ibsen i cannot speak to the ways in which it was because i read a lot about this play but not any ibsen but um he wrote it and he um he sent it off for feedback and he got some very tepid feedback on it and um from stanislaus as well who was like it's not bad but i i don't really know who you'd get to put this play on it's you know maybe a little too um it's not really keeping with the taste of the day but the basic story is there's a guy named paul who is in love with a woman named angela and she's the love of his life but he decides he needs to leave angela so he can marry a woman who would help him get ahead in the world you know someone with better connections or money and so he mm. breaks up with angela and marries someone else and it does it boosts his career he ends up a successful politician and he's the mayor of a city when all of a sudden there's an outbreak of bubonic plague and he 
with the help of a, I think she's either a doctor or a nurse, uh, this young woman, they, they help stem the tide of bubonic plague in their city and prevent an outbreak. And do you know who that young medical hero was? It was Angela. Oh, really? And then he realizes the error of his ways and that his whole brilliant huh. career was empty and he should have yeah. should have stood for love from the beginning oh. and no no one wanted to stage this play yeah I, I don't think it was very good um and uh yeah he burned it along with a lot of his juvenilia around 1902 mm. uh joyce was a passionate man we'll say and uh so it only mm. um exists again i think in the recollections of stanislaus but w one thing he warned his brother against and i'm i've got my notes out here because i i Wanted to make sure I, I got this right. Thank you. Um, was Stanislaus objected to the dedication, which reads as following. To my own soul, I dedicate the first true work of my life. <laughs> and he was like, maybe take that part out. <laughs> I don't oh, know about yeah. that dedication. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah. But, uh, that's amazing, huh? Yeah. yeah. I like really, that. It, was, it, was, it was a little too derivative of Ibsen if you're... Right. Very familiar with his works. It mm -hmm. was clear what he was going for. And it was just... Yeah. Novels Novels were Joyce's art form. You, you never... Yeah. You know, yeah. succeed on the stage, but... Right. But you can see how, you know, he would have, uh, you know, wanted to, to do that. I mean, to, to uh, I guess, mimic, you know, his idol mm -hmm. uh, in a way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, it's such a teenager move too because he was i think 18 or 19 when he wrote that and it's like yeah i just discovered this i always think of terms of rock music because that was what moved me when i was a teenager of like wow i heard this amazing band called the velvet underground so now i need to recreate the velvet underground but you can never do that oh There's yeah only one lou reed yeah yeah not him kid that's but, right yeah. good yeah i'm glad you're mentioning uh, these these things which i'm very fond of as well um, and I, that was one of the things that I wanted to uh, uh, go back to that I thought of earlier in our discussion uh, was uh, when you mentioned uh, Henry Ibsen and like, okay, nobody knows who that is. Well, did, did you, uh, I think it was maybe Laugh-In, this TV show. Did you watch that? It was I, that show ended before I was born. Kind of the 60s, I, yeah. I am aware of it as a concept. So yeah. Well, they had a little, have to tell me about laughing. They had one of the characters, um, and he would say, my name is Henry Gibson. So it was, you know, a play on Henry Gibson, and he was a poet. It was, it was a little like uh, SNL, uh, you know, uh, Stuart Smalley, you know. It, just kind of a silly thing, a pretentious writer. But they had all these little sketches. That's the way the show was designed. But A Flower by Henry Gibson. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was funny. Nice. Um, and I know you appreciate pop culture, so... That's, that's, I, uh, yes. I, I mean, we need to find, and you would know this, I guess, if Simpsons ever had a reference, they, they must have one somewhere, oh. <laughs> right, to Ibsen, yeah, probably Google it. Yeah, you know what, they, they, I'll, I'll be perfectly honest, um, if they did, uh, it would have flown right over my head, because. Yeah, they did do a Ulysses, right, there's a whole Odyssey, isn't they, there, um, Homer, <laughs> Oh, yep. Yeah, okay. I'd yeah. say from the word go, Homer. That counts. <laughs> yeah. There's been so much Simpsons, and I really like the Simpsons from the 90s, but the last, yeah. like, 20 years of the Simpsons, I have not seen. I hear you. Yeah. Um, no. And yeah. I'm, I've seen much less than you, just very little dabbled in, in that. Um, but, uh, yeah, Lou Reed is, is one of the greatest. I was just listening to... Um, Laurie Anderson the other day on a podcast with Anderson Cooper. She's one of my favorites as well. Um, but getting off topic there, right? Yeah. That's totally fine. Yeah. No, because that's what I, I just think of, like, I, I the Velvet Underground in particular, I point out, because reading about Joyce being so young and just stumbling across this thing that he finds transcendent and just needing to tell everyone about it reminds me of being the same mm -hmm. age and hearing the Velvet Underground and trying to tell everyone, and they're just like, mm, yeah, yeah, it's not for me, you know, right. and just be like, oh, how could you not see what I see? So, yeah, you can picture uh, Joyce running around the campus, like saying, Ibsen, come on, you guys, everybody, read Ibsen. 
Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly what he did. I think it was um, a professor at UCD who ended like wrote about the works of Ibsen, and they said, "Well, he got a lot of that from Joyce. Like that was who turned him on to it and kind of steered him in that direction." So, mm-hmm. and he single handedly, I, I, you know, talking about single handedly trying to introduce the Velvet Underground to LaSalle Peru High School. He single handedly, I think introduced ibsen to ireland like to the the irish literary scene um yeah and uh yeah you know to to start from do you have henry gibson's address we'll send him a letter to um yeah you know i would think anyone would be aware of ibsen now because he's he's so famous mm-hmm. I, I did want to ask you this is a bit, a bit veering off from what we're talking about now so you're you're a, a thespian paul um, have you ever had the chance to act in any of Ibsen's plays? You, you've, you've done stage nah. version of Finnegan's Wake, but have you ever done any Ibsen as a performer? No, no, and I, I'm, I haven't done any theater for quite a while. I'm, I'm ah. definitely uh, a, just something I dabbled in and uh, uh, done some, you know, mostly community theater. But, you know, yeah, I always wanted to play a part... Uh, in Ibsen play, um, but uh, you know, I haven't gotten a chance to do that. Yeah, but what, uh, what would your dream role be? <laughs> you know, in Hedda Gobbler, there's uh, the character who is a writer, and he he comes back from Hedda's uh, past, like a lover uh, before, and he's this tortured tortured artist. <laughs> that was that's a part that I I've, I've always wanted to play, but. You know, that was kind of uh, something I thought about more as a younger man. <laughs> um, I don't know <laughs> at this point if that's really the role I would dream. I would think it would be fun to be in uh, When We Dead Awaken. That's, that would be very fun. Yeah, and that's, but it, it, and it's not, you can see why it's not produced much. But um, I think I want to say one more thing about um the idea that that you know Joyce said you mentioned him being uh, uh, saying that drama was you know really where it's at what what's you know not the novel and and you can see um, uh, why you know Ibsen this is something that he had over Joyce I think is just maybe being more familiar with the theater and just you know how a play actually works and what you know how. And his stage directions, I mean, it's like he, he sees it all and he's writing it all out and how it's going to look on the stage. And and so when you go to live theater, uh, this is a very different kind of thing than than reading a book in, in the privacy of your, your home, right? And and so that there is a there is a way that can really impact uh, people in, in a whole different way than a novel can. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I don't go to much theater anymore and right uh, but I I think it's it's something that uh, can it has that potential to really have an impact um, you know absolutely yeah we've all been inside for a couple years so uh, go go to the theater guys. yeah right yeah yeah exactly yeah everybody you know you go out to um, We've been to a couple. I've been to a couple of concerts lately, and you know the, all the artists are saying, you know, oh, it's so great to be back doing this. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So it was really, very really, um, great uh, to talk to you. Um, yes. I don't know if you have any more questions on your roster, but um, I, I think I've brought forth the things that I wanted to, more or less. You've done great, Paul. I really enjoyed talking. You're asking. I've I've asked you all my questions. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yes. yeah. Well, thank well, you so much. Um, yeah, this has really inspired me to uh, hunt down some Ibsen plays and uh, you know read read something new. And uh, you know, if, if there's an Ibsen play playing near you, you've heard it here first, folks. Go check it out. Yeah, I'm I'm inspired to read my brother's keeper. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's good good reading and. Um, he, I, I would say this is not related to Ibsen, but like he, I think like his brother, his older brother, Stanislaus had a very good memory. Um, he remembers like rude things that Joyce said in a, a funny way. He, I, I, one of my favorite details in that is Joyce was in the theosophy for a little bit and then 
very quickly became disillusioned with it. But when he lost interest in theosophy, he made up rude nicknames for all of the prominent theosophists. And uh, Stanislaus uh. includes a list of them. And that is a page I've returned to more than once. Oh, so. my. The only one I can remember off the top of my head is that he called Madame Blavatsky, Madame Blue Fatsky. <laughs> so they're like, they're not oh, that good, yeah. but they're still funny. Cause yeah. So that's wonderful. So my brother's keeper. Um, should be able to get a copy, no problem. All right. Well, Paul, it has been an absolutely, absolute delight talking to you. Thank you so much for no, my taking some Thank time you, out of your day to talk to me. Yeah, thanks, Kelly. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to the Blooms and Barnacles podcast. Your support means the world to us. You can subscribe to Blooms and Barnacles on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Spotify, or any other place you listen to podcasts. You can also stream our episodes at our website, bloomsandbarnacles.com. That's bloomsandbarnacles.com. If you've enjoyed our podcast, you can do one of three things to help support us. Number one, please donate at bloomsandbarnacles.com. The PayPal donate button is at the upper right-hand corner of the page. This helps us pay for coffee and for hosting fees. Two, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or the podcast app of your choice. This helps more people find our show. And three, share us with a friend who you think would enjoy Blooms and Barnacles. Blooms and Barnacles is also a blog. We post new articles and original artwork semi-regularly at bloomsandbarnacles.com. Never miss an update by following us on social media. Search for our group Blooms and Barnacles Podcast on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at BarnacleCast. You can also send us an email at bloomsandbarnacles at gmail.com. That's bloomsandbarnacles at gmail.com. We met some of our favorite podcast friends through random emails and social media DMs. We'd love to hear from you too, so don't be afraid to shoot us a message anytime. We'll be back in your feed in two weeks. Bye for now.